Before we begin this week's episode of Nordic True Crime, we just want to say a big thank you to our new patrons. A massive thank you to Ed Valiente, Dahlia Dennington, and Alex Carson. We are delighted to have you guys on board. And if you too want to become a part of Nordic True Crime, then find us at patreon.com forward slash Nordic True Crime. We have also just set up our new online merchandise store and we'll be sending out stickers to the Viking tier members this month as well as having a Valhalla-level episode available sometime in June. If you want to check out our merchandise, then find us at tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash Nordic True Crime. An unresponsive man is found at home lying on his bed. The man is deceased. Nothing about his death points to anything suspicious and it's therefore treated as death by natural causes. It wasn't until two weeks later when a small bullet hole is found behind his ear that everything changes and one man's long relationship on the wrong side of the law is revealed. This is Nordic True Crime. In the north of Sweden, in the locality of Haparanda, and right on the border where the country meets Finland, lies a small town called Boyakala. Even though it only consists of about 62 inhabitants, the community at one time still managed to make national news. The reason why the small town became infamous was partly due to a long-running feud between neighbours. A feud that can be traced back to the 1980s. The situation got so bad that even the Swedish government tried to do their best to solve the issue without any luck. At the heart of this feud was a man called Esa Rano. He would describe himself as hard, fearless and trigger-happy. When he moved in next door to the Grönfors family, the relationship went sour almost instantly, getting worse through time. These arguments that Esa had with the family 
often ended up descending into violent conflicts, almost on a daily basis. Esa Rano was born in 1961 in Simo, Finland. Throughout his childhood, his family moved around a lot and often struggled to find a place to settle, which meant that his father was forced to sleep in a tent in order to let his family have a roof over their heads. When Esa was growing up, he started to commit petty crimes, and by 1991, his criminal path took a turn for the worse. One day, whilst he was in Kemi, in Finland, he decided to go to the local hot dog stall for something to eat. Once there, he got into an argument with a 28-year-old man. A brutal fight broke out, and several punches were thrown. Then suddenly, without warning, Esa pulled out a gun and shot the man in the head. The man was taken to hospital, but later died from his injuries. Esa fled the scene of the crime, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. But the next day, a newspaper reporter received a phone call, which, at first, he believes to be a prank call. It is Esa who is calling, claiming that he wants to surrender himself, but he wanted a witness from the media to be present at the arrest, proving that he wasn't a dangerous person like the newspaper had made him out to be. The reporter agrees, and just before Esa is arrested, he tells him that it wasn't his intention to shoot the 28-year-old in the head. But he doesn't exactly claim that he didn't wish to shoot the man at all. In December of 1991, he was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to nine years in prison. But he was released after six years and moved the short distance from Finland over the border to Haparanda in Sweden. After his prison sentence, Esa didn't exactly live his life as a reformed man and subsequently went back to his previous familiar life of crime. He was convicted of a further 15 crimes after serving his sentence for murder. Some of these convictions included assault, fraud, vandalism and serious drug offences. As a result of these crimes, he would spend many more years in prison. According to former inmates, Esa made their prison time a living 
hell. One man claims that he was forced to become his human punch bag and was, according to the prosecutor, totally unrecognizable on his release. In 2001, a priest called Veiko offered Esa the chance to move into his house in Boyacala. It was a nice property, with several bedrooms just a few steps away from a creek. The only problem with the house was the neighbors, the family Grönfors. They had lived in their house for over 20 years, and during this time, they had been constantly harassing the priest and his wife, as well as other neighbors. They had been yelling over the fence, calling them all sorts of horrible names, spitting at them, and making obscene gestures. Eventually, Veiko became tired and fed up with constantly living in terror and fear of what his neighbors would do next. So both he and his family move out, leaving the house empty. That's when he offered to sublet his house to Esa, who gladly accepted. But before Esa had moved in, Veiko decided to drive by the empty building one more time, just to check up on it, making sure that everything was in order for his new tenant. Suddenly, before he has the chance to realize what is happening, four members of the Grönfors family attack him with steel pipes and a wooden log. The priest is pleading for his life, begging for them to stop. But they just laugh at him and mock him as he lies on the ground, trying to protect himself from the attack. They kick the man each time he tries to get away. Luckily, Veiko survives the attack, but is left with serious injuries. Two of his neighbors are later convicted of the assault. One is sentenced to psychiatric care. However, the other neighbor is only served with a monetary fine. When Esa moved into the priest's house, the arguments with the neighbors started immediately. Big rocks came flying over the fence into Esa's property. One night, the Grönfors are even caught on tape shouting over the fence, You're a pedophile and a murderer. Bring your daughter over and I will rape her. Esa's daughter was at this time just three years old. Since this was caught on tape, the neighbors are once again convicted, this time of threatening behavior 
and are sentenced to pay yet another fine. In 2005, Esa was filmed by the Grönfors flashing a gun, and shortly thereafter, he was shot in the leg. The police suspected one of the neighbors to be the shooter, but it was never proven, so nobody was convicted. One night, large stones are thrown at Esa's house. When he goes to have a look out the window, several shots are fired. Esa calls the police, and one of the Grönfors is later convicted of firing the shots and sentenced to 10 months in prison. Esa's wife was scared for her family's safety, especially for her young daughter. If she was to be hit by one of these big stones, she would more than likely be killed, at best seriously injured. Apart from the physical abuse, there was also the mental abuse. The constant name-calling and shouting was taking its toll on her and her family. So they decided to move out from the house and leave Boyacala. Esa and his wife at that time were members of a gym and it was through the gym that they got to know a woman who worked there. They soon became good friends. Not long after this, the woman's boyfriend at the time, Heiki, started hanging out with Esa and they too became close friends. But the friendship quickly soured. It all started when Heike's girlfriend bought a snowblower from Esa. A snowblower she never paid for. The couple fell out with each other because of this and one day in 2007 when Heike was out with a friend working on a car, Esa showed up. He sprays tear gas at Heike's friend who takes off running. He then sprays Heike in the eyes with the tear gas, and whilst he is temporarily blinded, Esa plunges a syringe into his leg and injects him with snake poison before leaving. Heike was forced to go to the hospital in order to receive antidote because his leg became badly swollen from the venom. Esa is initially convicted for the attack and sentenced to eight months in jail. But after appealing, his lawyer argues that it was in fact self-defense and that he was only using the syringe as a weapon to protect himself from Heike. The lawyer claimed that Esa, who did have a well-documented passion for reptiles, was on this day on his way to Finland to take care of a snake 
which needed an injection of some sort. And that is why he brought the syringe with him. He didn't realize that it wasn't empty. When he met Heike, the situation quickly got out of hand, and he felt that his life was in danger and retaliated, feeling that he had to defend himself in any way he could. The court believes this to be true, and Esa is freed of all charges and released. He is also given an indemnity as compensation for the time he had spent in jail. Here at Nordic True Crime, we are all for promoting the best in Scandinavian design and technology, and that is exactly what you get with studio headphones. Studio headphones are not just a tech device, but also an accessory. With that sleek Swedish design, they are both fashionable and incorporate that high-quality sound you're after. And for a limited period of time, you can get 15% off your first purchase of any of Studio's headphone models using the discount code NORDIC. That's N-O-R-D-I-C. Studio also offers free worldwide shipping on all purchases. So don't delay. Get your first pair of Studio headphones at studio.com today. That's S-U-D-I-O.com. Esa was a serious gun lover and stored several weapons in his home. He had a varied collection which included pistols, rifles and machine guns. And everywhere he went, he always carried a knife and, at times, a rifle in the trunk of his car, knowing full well that it was highly illegal to do so. Aside from his guns, he also had a real passion for reptiles, as previously mentioned. And it's through this passion that he meets a 23-year-old man called Jerry, who shares the same hobby. Esa buys several snakes from him, and according to Jerry, he witnesses Esa milking his snakes of venom and wanted Jerry to do the same to which he refused. One day, he buys a caiman from Yeri that he keeps indoors. He is treating it almost like a pet dog, letting it walk around the house. He sometimes would be seen walking outside with it wedged underneath his arm, and would sneak up behind people, putting the caiman's head over their shoulder to startle them. A prank that was never appreciated by anyone. People in the neighborhood began to fear Esa. They considered him to be an extremely 
bullish man who often would ask for favors that nobody dared to refuse. Most people even feared to accept any drinks or food from him because they just couldn't believe that he hadn't tampered with it in some way. In May of 2007, Esa drove back to his old house in Boyacala to pick up some spare tires. According to people in the area, that wasn't the only reason he went back there. He wanted to provoke his old next-door neighbors. Before he entered the property, he leaves a camera on top of his car roof and presses record. It doesn't take long before the flying rocks can be seen. Rocks thrown by members of the Granfors family. They are peeking over the fence in the background and they soon make a decision to take it to the next level. Esa hears something behind his back and when he turns around, he is face to face with members of the family. They're coming at him with an axe and strike him twice on the forehead and then once more horizontally across the face. The whole bottom part of Esa's head is crushed and his right eye is completely detached from the socket. In total, Esa was hit six times with the axe and is left for dead. Unbelievably, he survives the attack. One of the brothers in the Grönfors family was arrested and later convicted of the attempted murder. He was sentenced to eight years in prison. The other brother and his father were charged as accessories and sentenced to six years in prison. Furthermore, two of the sisters in the family were convicted of providing false alibis for the guilty men. Esa makes a remarkable recovery after the brutal axe attack. But once again, it doesn't change the way he lives his life. When his daughter's teacher phones him, explaining that his daughter had injured herself on her first day of school, he completely loses his mind. He drives over to the school and screams at all of the teachers in front of the children. He says that he should line them all up against the wall and first shoot them in their heels and then in their heads. The school was so terrified by the incident 
and threats that they decided to hire security guards to make sure that both teachers and students had that much-needed peace of mind whilst attending school. During this time, Esa's wife filed a police report against him, claiming that she had been abused by him for years. According to her, he had been striking her as well as verbally abusing her. She feared for her life and decided to escape with their kids and hide in a secret location. Esa was convicted of the abuse of his wife and for the threats he made at the school and was sentenced to 14 months in prison. When he got out in 2010, he moved to a town called Scherbeck. On the 11th of April, 2012, Esa's lawyer was growing more and more concerned about Esa's well-being. They had set up a meeting where a large sum of money was going to be given to Esa for an indemnity he had previously been awarded. But Esa had failed to show up to the meeting and his lawyer instantly knew that something wasn't quite right. He drove over to his home and finds the front door unlocked. He then smells a heavy odor coming from inside the house. It can only be one thing, a dead body. He decides not to go inside and instead calls the police. When the police arrive, they find Esa lying dead on his bed and a doctor is called in to make an initial judgment as to whether or not it is considered to be a death by natural causes or foul play. The doctor in question makes his examination and judges it to be a natural death, totally missing the small bullet hole in his head. The wound is not discovered until two weeks later during the autopsy, which in turn ignites a murder investigation. The police return to Esa's house to begin their investigation. Nothing really indicates any kind of struggle, but they do find the bullet shell on Esa's bed. They also realize that they have a gold necklace, rings and watch that Esa always seems to be wearing are missing. The police are having a tough time in finding the person or people responsible for the murder. Esa had a lot of enemies, so it wasn't exactly an open and shut case. After a period of time, 
they run out of leads. But just as the case is winding up, they get a tip. A man comes forward and says that his friend had been boasting about killing Ersa. The friend in question was Jerry, the man who Ersa bought his reptiles from. According to the statement made by the man, Jerry had snuck inside Ersa's house whilst he was sleeping, crouched down beside his bed, put a gun behind his ear, tilted it slightly upwards, then pulled the trigger. He then proceeded to take off the thick gold necklace, the watch and rings. Before he left, he pulled out his mobile phone and snapped a photo of the dead Esa, a photo he would later show his friends. Fourteen hours after the murder, Jerry tried to sell the stolen items in a jewelry store in Haparanda. When the police got hold of Jerry's mobile phone, they couldn't find the photo of Esa, but they managed to reassemble deleted files from the device, and sure enough, there it was. They also found text messages that Yari had sent to his friends, saying, There are still things to collect in Rano's house, but make sure to wear a clothes peg over your nose, because it will soon start to smell. One of Yari's other friends admits during questioning that he had picked him up outside Esa's house the night of the murder, and according to him, Jerry showed him the photo and the gun, which was used to kill Esa. According to his friends, Jerry said after the murder, Now he won't do any more harm to anyone. Yeri denied everything. He claimed that Esa had in fact given him the jewelry. He didn't steal anything. He claims not to have written the text messages, and he has no idea how a picture of a murdered man ended up within his deleted files on his mobile phone. Despite this denial, Yeri was charged for the murder of Esa, the 10th of August, 2012. But the trial would be very turbulent. Jerry received death threats, and on the first day of the trial, the court received a bomb threat. On the 27th of August, one of Yeri's friends claimed to be the real killer, saying that he was the one who fired the shot. However, 
A few hours later, he retracted his statement, saying that he was just feeling guilty for having ratted on Yeri. The man had previously bought a gun from Yeri because he felt like he needed to protect himself and his family. When he later realized that the gun was in fact the murder weapon used to kill Esa, he panicked and decided to get rid of parts of the gun in case the police came knocking. But he then decided to speak to the police to make sure that neither him nor his brother were considered as suspects because of the gun and therefore decided to tell them what he knew. On the 11th of September, the court declared Yeri not guilty of the murder of Esa. The statement read, It would be considered to be highly likely that Yeri shot Esa Rano. However, it cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that not another person had also been on the scene and it in fact could have been this person who took the fatal shot. Yeri is released, but the sentence is appealed, and on the 16th of November, Yeri is convicted of murder and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Have you been bludgeoned to death with Ted Bundy stories? Are you choking on too many Hillside Strangler podcast episodes? As awesome as those are, cleanse your palate and add something new to your true crime diet. Why not try some Dark Poutine, a podcast from north of the 49th parallel? We cover Canadian crimes and dark histories. Some of the stories you may know nothing about, but they beg to be told. And with Canada being the biggest small country on the planet... We even have personal connections to some of the crimes and history we chat about. Join two real live Canadians every week as we serve up another helping of dark poutine. We are substantially creepy, sometimes meaty, always cheesy, but very rarely sorry. So come on up north and fill your ears with some dark poutine. In five, four, three. Hey everybody, this is Danielle. And this is Daniel. And I'm Carla, and we are Hoosier Homicide. A true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers, or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Wait, do you know what a Hoosier is? Nope. Uh, nope. Shit. I'll look it up, I promise.
We tell true crime stories with some random connection to our home state of Indiana. So come listen. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Hoosier Homicide. You can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes as well as Podbean. We also have a MySpace. No one's come to visit it, yes. <laughs> and for honest to goodness, stay, stay out, out of the corn. corn. I like the MySpace thing. Yeah, that was good.